you have a Bible this morning and you want to read with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll read one verse in there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll give you a minute to turn there. Verse 58, the very last verse of the reading today. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll read verse 58, though we'll reference multiple parts of this chapter. It says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'll read that one more time. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The title of our message this morning, drawn from this chapter, really, not just this verse, is Beholding the Risen Lord. Beholding the risen Lord. This verse, thank you, this verse comes at the end of one of the most magnificent chapters, perhaps, that Paul ever wrote. It's the clearest instruction or teaching that we have about the resurrection. And so this is typically an Easter location. And I suppose what struck me at the end of this chapter was the therefore. Most of you know as you read the Bible, but also just in common human speech, therefore comes after, um, or rather, therefore is meant to say, Now that you know this, here's what I want you to do. And Paul has just given this I don't know that I could come up with a word to describe what Paul has just written in this last chapter. Um, It defies words, the depth of what Paul is getting into in the resurrection of Christ. And the beauty of what he's doing is he is connecting Christ's resurrection to the benefits we will receive because of Christ's resurrection. He's talking about us and the blessings that we'll inherit because Christ rose from the dead. And after he gets done with all of it, if we were to go into chapter 16, he transitions to a different thought. And so he gives this very full, concluding, concise, in lieu of all of what I've just told you, which is so rich and deep, do this. One sentence. And we read it. Two things that he really instructs us in this verse 
is be steadfast and unmovable is one thing. And then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so he's telling us, in lieu of what you've just learned about the resurrection and the glory of the resurrection and what you're going to experience one day, and thinking on all of that, his conclusion is, what that should cause us to do is to be unmovable and steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, even that phrase requires a lot of us being immovable and steadfast. I think when you're young, you don't appreciate steadfastness. But as you get older and you reflect on those who have gone before you and you recognize more of the hardships of life, both in your body, in your family, and just how much that the sea of life tosses you in unexpected ways. And you see people who are steadfast, dependable, and just doing the common things. But I think one error that our modern culture makes about marriage that is very deceptive is that they make out romance and marriage and, and they try to make it seem like that a flourishing marriage is one that reaches all of these peaks and all of these highs and, and that you need to seek somebody that you could be adventurous with. And, and the reality is quite the opposite. What I most appreciate, one of the qualities that I most appreciate in my wife is steadfastness. Dependability, an unwavering attitude or those qualities which I can know each morning that I wake up, I don't have to doubt her trustworthiness, her honesty. And yet, it's hard. As you get older, you begin to appreciate, you know, my mom, for example, I didn't appreciate when I was a kid, but just getting up and going into work. Every single day. No matter how she felt, no matter how late she was up the night before, every morning, seven o'clock rolled around, she was walking out the door. And as I get older, I really appreciate that. I feel the same about older saints who have dedicated their lives to the Lord. When you're young in the faith, you look at the Christian walk and not with the same lens that you do as you get older and you see to stay steadfast in the work of the Lord is hard. Not to still attend church, that's easy. But to stay steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that is hard. And Paul tells us This is coming, and this is the emphasis we're going to give this morning. This is coming in lieu of his teaching on the resurrection. So this morning, what I want to talk about for just a few moments today, if the Lord will help me to to bring out these thoughts, and, and you pray that he will. What helps us to continue devoting ourselves to the Lord? We could get up this morning and and perhaps at times we do too much. 
And we instruct and we say, we need to do this and we need to do this and we need to devote ourselves to all of these various Christian duties. And we can go through the scriptures and we can find over and over all of these things that we're to do. But I would ask this morning is what is going to sustain us in an uplifted spirit to continue doing those things? Like what is to be upon our minds? Because what is on our minds matters. But I would say today that Satan is busy in our culture trying to control the mind. Because he knows that if he can get to your mind, he can control everything else about you. Because your mind is the entrance to your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So he knows if he can get to your mind, he can control your heart where all the issues of life come from. Well, what gets to your head? How does it get to your mind? Well, usually from your ears and from your eyes. And so Satan is lurking about today, and he's got these little devices we all keep in our pockets, and he's busy trying to control our minds through our eyes and through our ears. You ever heard people say, and maybe you've said it yourself, you know, you're watching some movie or you're listening to something and you think to yourself, well, I can handle this. I think we're asking the wrong question when we think that. It's not whether you can handle it or not. To me, there's a better question to ask. Is this bringing me closer to the Lord or further away? And if the contents are bringing me further away, I probably ought not. In all honesty, I feel like there are very few things that my nine-year-old should see that I can see as well, or rather shouldn't see that I should see. Very little, few things. That being the case this morning, I want to talk about what, what ought to be in our minds to incentivize us to continue to live for the Lord. I would put it in a very simple, there's many things that we could think about, but one of the things that Paul lays out here is the risen Savior. You know, Satan does... With religious people, he pulls a lot of tricks. And one of those is that if we're thinking about church, if we're thinking about religious things, that it is the same as if we're thinking about, or in other words, all religious things are just the same. But I would contend this morning that they're not. We can think about a lot of religious things. We can think about a lot of doctrinal things. We can think and participate in a lot of things as it relates to our church. And yet all of those things are not equal. And what Paul has brought before this Corinthian church is this beautiful picture of our risen Lord. And this morning, I want to say unequivocally that if our minds can be focused more often on our risen Savior as he is now, where he is at now, and the implications of him having risen from the dead, as you go and live in this life and you're driving to work and you're at various places, maybe you're at home in the evening, if your mind would rather than focus upon carnal, entertaining things, but if your mind would be focused upon the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ died and then he rose again and he sits upon the right hand of the Father and that because he does that, we experience or will experience certain benefits 
I would argue this morning that by having our minds on those things, it will re-energize us in being unmovable, steady, and not and being always abounding in the work of the Lord. Or in other words, it will sustain, it will give us fuel to continue serving the Lord with more passion than just carrying out things with duty. It is very easy to feel duty laden in the house of the Lord, especially for those of you that work strenuously in the house of the Lord, right? Many of you this morning do a lot of the work around here and it's very easy in trying to do the work of the Lord or being commissioned or being called consistently from the pulpit saying we're obligated to do this and we're obligated to do that. It's very easy to Satan to twist that and for that to become something that you bitterly do as a duty. But God doesn't need us to bitterly accomplish something for him. God desires us to abound steadfastly in the work of the Lord from a heart of love. And in order to do that, there has to be things in our minds that are calling us to that. I'm going to talk to this morning just for a few moments about things that Christ's resurrection bring to my mind. As I was walking through the cemetery this week, that's where this thought came from. I was walking through the cemetery and seeing a lot of the names that I recognized and, of course, some that I didn't recognize. And began to think about how the Lord is not there. He's risen. The Lord is not dead. He's alive. I began to think about the benefits of his resurrection today. The Bible teaches us, and I want to turn there real quick. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he tells us this. But we all with open face, beholding as in a a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Here's what that's saying. It's saying because Jesus has died and rose again, because Jesus was given an incorruptible body, because he has sent his spirit into the world, while we as Christians live down here, there are times when you and I can reflect the glory that was with Jesus at his resurrection. Or in other words, you and I can be a a mere reflection of Christ to the world. Why is this an encouraging thing to us? Because if you're like me here just a few weeks ago, six or five weeks ago, I gave you a challenge. I said, I want you to try to go out and evangelize to somebody. And if you've ever had the experience before where you have gone out and you've tried in your weak way to evangelize or to invite somebody to church and they have just slammed the door in your face or you have stumbled all over your words or you have just not been in a spirit where perhaps the opportunity has presented itself and you've not had a spirit that has been uh, very, lend itself very well well to being successful in that environment and you walk away discouraged and I can say in my own experience that many more times have I walked away discouraged from having attempted to witness to somebody and not because they just rejected me but because I have just felt so inadequate walking away knowing that there was more I could have said knowing there's perhaps a different a thought I could have expressed and I thought of a thousand things as I walked away of things I could have said and yet at that moment it seemed as though I just struggled to say anything. There are times when I've gone to preach very often. You've seen it. You see it often. I get up. I'm wanting to bring before you something that is reflective of the glory of the Lord. And it just does not reflect. 
But because Jesus has risen from the dead, Paul here gives the Corinthian church a promise. And here's what that promise amounts to. Because Jesus is seated upon the right hand of the Father, because His Spirit has been sent into this world, He can from time to time change us. He can from time to time enable us. That in these moments when we're trying to perform services for the Lord, God can equip us in such a way that we reflect to the world the light or the glory of Christ. Perhaps many of you, as I gave that challenge just a few weeks ago about witnessing to somebody, have become inward thinking. And you thought, you know, I'm not good with words and I've not practiced this very much. And I'm intimidated when I begin to contemplate the person who I feel inclined to go and share the gospel with. Perhaps they're a family member. And we all know often that family members can be the most difficult people to try to reach and to try to talk to and strike up religious conversation with. And perhaps you're thinking inwardly and you're saying, you know what, I see all All of my insufficiencies, but let me declare to you this morning that one of the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that what God can do is in the moments that we are serving him, he can completely remove your Adamic spirit that is fraught with weakness, that is fraught with insecurity and anxiety, and he can at that moment equip you with power and glory that you might not of your own strength, but of God's power be equipped with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to help those that are in need that he has called you to go to. Any Christian worth their soul knows that if anything will be accomplished in the work of the Lord, it is because God's Holy Spirit will equip them for the work and to be able to do it successfully. Paul here is saying, you know what? Because of Christ's resurrection, I can shine. I can show forth that when people see me, they don't see me, they see the Lord. Another place, Philippians chapter 3, he tells us in verse 10, Paul said that he was getting all things but dung that, he, that we might win Christ. And he goes on to say that he lost all things, that I might know him. And then he said this, and the power of his resurrection. This morning you can reflect because Christ has risen from the dead. You can reflect his glory. And you can also be equipped by God with his power. It's a wonderful thing to be in the service of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to be used of the Lord. Because in the moments after you have been used of the Lord. At least I have been so conscious of the fact that I had so little to do with what just happened. That there was, you know, people who doubt the existence of God, I would say this, it's largely because they've never had an experience where someone outside of them caused them to be dead in a moment and that someone else lived through them in those moments. What I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit living through us. This morning, one of the benefits of the resurrection is that in this life, as you look at all your insufficiencies, if you'll... Cast yourself upon him. He can live through you. And that's a wonderful consolation when you have a lot of love for people. When you want to do the work of the Lord, you want it to abound in you. It's not that you just merely try harder. It's not merely that you focus on your sins and ask God's forgiveness for your sins. Though both of those may in some occasions be appropriate. It's the recognition and the dependence of Lord. I need you to live through me. 
another benefit of the resurrection that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 15 that we want to mention for just a moment. And I don't want to insult anybody, but I thought of a couple people here whenever I thought about this. One day, one of the benefits of the resurrection that is encouraging to me, especially to you that are older, this ought to be encouraging, is that one time, one day, your broken bodies will be changed. And as you age, and your infirmities begin to rise, things don't work like they used to. I've seen many Christians take the same course that our nation does, and that is they retire from their Christian duties at around 65. And the reason is they don't feel good. And although there's, some, there's an understanding from the flesh as to why people would do that, you don't feel good, it affects everything about you. You ever had those experiences where you were healthy for a really long time, then you got some little sickness and you think, Lord, I'll appreciate it if you'll just make me healthy again. I kind of neglected my appreciation and my thankfulness for good health. But the Bible here tells us that there is coming a day where our corruption, where our weakness, this is what Paul writes. I want you to look in 1 Corinthians 15, all of his descriptive words. I'm not going to read all this, but in verse 42, he describes our bodies as corruptible. He says in verse 43 that they're in dishonor, that they're in weakness, that they're a natural body in verse 44. In verse 49, it says that we bear the image of the earthy. In verse 50, it says that we're full of corruption. So you listen to all these descriptive words, and what he says over and over again is that our bodies are just full of weakness and brokenness and when I see saints that are getting up at age and I see that in former days they were vibrant and they were bright in their bodies and they sang with a great joy in their heart and they participated in services through prayer and through singing and through evangelizing with great spunk and energy and vitality and yet now as the ages of time pass on their bodies grow more infirmed and they get weaker and weaker And that weakness in body begins to affect the spirit. But as Paul is saying here, listen what you need to do if you're older and infirm this morning. You need to hold out for a better day. You need to stay encouraged knowing that there is coming a day where everything you experience now will be gone. And that weakness will be raised in power. That corruption will be raised in incorruption. That thing which is natural will be raised spiritual. That all the things that hold you back now are confined to the here and the now. And Paul is telling us that one of the blessings that we need to be mindful of in continuing in the work of the Lord, and I would say especially to our older brothers and sisters, don't give up now. Don't cease to be steadfast and unmovable, engaged in the work of the Lord because there is coming a day where that which restrains you now no longer will. Be unmovable in your desire and in your willingness to engage here, even if your body feels infirmed. Why? Be mindful of the fact there's coming a day where it's all going to be over, and for you it's inching closer and closer. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Consider this this morning if you're aged and you're infirmed. Realize that perhaps all these infirmities, that the majority of that that you've spent is behind you. 
Because per, perhaps for many that's true. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you'll reap if you faint not. Be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, we often hear older people say it's so encouraging to see a younger person serve the Lord. Well, let me tell you the reverse of it. It's also encouraging for younger people or middle-aged people to see older people. Have you ever seen that old man or that old woman who can barely walk, who stays at home six days a week? My grandmother was one of those, 97 years old, almost 97 years old. Had to pay everybody to come there to deliver her food and come and do her hair and do all the things. Have a nurse come in and help her. But guess what she was doing on Sunday morning? Getting up as early as she could. Getting ready so that she could wheel out to the car and wheel into the church house. You don't think that as all of us that are younger than her looked at the unmovable, unyielding desire to be in the house of God. What do you think that that did for the spirit of that church watching her every day and then once in a while occasionally muttering a few words of testimony? Or as I would talk to her in private sometimes, she would bemoan her sinfulness and say, I have to ask God often to forgive me. And as she would say that, I would think, wow, how engaged you still are. That at 96 years old, you're still thinking about your walk with God. You're still thinking about honoring God. You're not so focused on your infirmities that you have moved away from the focus of your life. I would say a young person has great opportunity to be able to encourage those around them. But older friend, don't doubt that you do too. Because the world knows what is working against you. So how do you stay motivated? There's coming a day. Where it's all over. All the people buried up in that cemetery. All the people who perhaps spent decades of their life. Beset with weakness in the flesh. Are no longer that way. Now here's what the scripture tells us in verse 52. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible isn't that enough I mean think about that that which is corruptible will be raised incorruptible I love this end of that verse it says and we shall be changed The Bible tells us, it's not coming to me where. 1 John chapter 3, it tells us that it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That, that gives me great hope because the last time that we see Jesus on this earth, he was different. He was different. He looked different because he was different. And the Bible tells us here and earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he is merely the first fruits of them that sleep. So here's what's going to happen. The day the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise. But they're not going to look the way they went in. You could go out, you could dig up those graves, the oldest people in there. And all you'd find is a bunch of bones, and those bones would be decayed. 
But when they rise, the Bible said here in verse 52, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they'll be changed. And what will they look like? They'll look like him. I don't know how that's going to be. It's going to be really neat because they're going to look like themselves, but they're going to look like him. If you're old and you're infirmed this morning, take great hope. That will be you. Let that encourage you to continue to persevere through your hardships in serving the Lord today. Don't give up yet. The Lord obviously needs you here for a reason. That's why even in your weakened state, you're still here. And so as much as you are able and as much as God empowers you to do so, strive to look beyond the natural which restrains you and serve in the way that you can. You know, I don't think God necessarily has the same expectations as he did when you were young in your strength. But he still has expectations that you would abound always in the work of the Lord. So do it. Do it. <clears throat> and then Paul, in the very end, gives us this final truth about why on our minds we need to consider the resurrected Savior. It's because when we look, so in our minds, when we contemplate how our God is different than every other God, that is that He came to earth, that He died for our sins, that He rose again, and that He's in heaven, alive. Why is that such a beautiful picture that we consider? Why is that something we ought to dwell on? Well, the final reason that Paul gives here is because it, proclaims to us that death has been conquered. I think, I'm not, I realize in the big scheme of things, I'm not very old. But one thing that surprises me as I age that more people are not mindful of is death. Because I feel it on my mind all the time. Maybe that's an unusual thing, perhaps it's not, I don't know. I think about death daily. If not daily, every day or two. And as I consider that, it makes this life seem so trivial. Now that doesn't mean I ought to neglect my God-given duties. I don't think it makes it look trivial in that sense. Because my God-given duties are ways that I honor Him. And knowing that I will be responsible for those things eternally, I feel compelled to to put my hand to those things. Yet it seems as though the older I get, the more dull the things that I previously enjoyed in the flesh become. The thrills are not as thrilling as what they were. Why? Because as I step back and I consider the breadth, or rather the shortness of life and the length of eternity, it just makes ambition seems so silly. It makes achievement seem dwarf in comparison to treasures in heaven. It makes accolades and pride and people thinking well of you. It makes it seem so shallow when you pause and you take a step back and you look in view of eternity. What are these things? Death. I think of the finality of it. Something that, again, I think people choose not to think about. But if you think about it for more than five or ten minutes, a pretty humbling thing. When you die, you're dead. That's common sense, Brother Brett. 
I know, but think about it. Like when you die, you're dead. It's all over at that moment. So why do we look at our risen Savior? What hope does that provide us? Well, I would say twofold. Number one, it gives us hope as Paul was doing here in Thessalonians for those who have gone before us. The more people that pass away that I love and grew up with, the more I appreciate the fact that Christ conquered death. The more I appreciate the fact that this is a temporary separation. As we went down to uh, Do Re Mi Music Academy, uh, the kids learned a new song. I hope they can sing for you here soon. It was picked because of the situation our church has gone through the last year that we've lost probably not just members, but family members, important family members within your families, probably more than 10 or 12 people. And as I looked at that crowd of kids, there were 13 or 14 of them there, I realized that every kid had been affected by death. The title of the song that they learned is God is Still Good. Because we've all experienced and felt the pains of death this year. And yet amidst it, God is still good. Here Paul is telling us, I have triumphed over death. And for the Christian who has lost somebody, as we contemplate and as we dwell on the fact that Jesus is on the right hand of the Father and He has conquered death and that He has given or that He has allowed all of us to enjoy the spoils of His conquering by also imputing to us eternal life, by promising us that just as He was buried and rose again, we also and those that we love were buried will rise again. And as the Bible says, we will go and be with Him in that place forever and ever, there with one another and there with Him There is great joy and satisfaction and encouragement knowing that this that we experience down here, as lonely as you might be if you've lost a spouse, as painful as it might have been if you've lost a child or a parent or a grandparent or a best friend, know that they are there in heaven enjoying the fruits of what they have done down here. And that thought alone gives me great encouragement knowing I want to continue to serve God down here that when I get to heaven, I might join that chorus of them singing praises around the throne because Christ has conquered death. We don't serve a dead God. We serve one who is alive. This morning, Paul is so confident, and I love this. Paul is so confident at what Christ did, he taunts death. You know, when we think of death, we think of, you know, I think very often Christian Satan can weaken our faith. And we can think as we get closer and we get closer, fear might rise within us as to what death entails and what it's going to be like. I hope God grants you with the grace to be the exact opposite. Because Paul, the closer he got to death, the more the voice and herald of a conqueror he became. To the point here in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, where's your sting? (laughs) He laughs at it. He makes fun of the fact that death has no power over me. 
And so it's as, as though he looks over a conquered foe who is laying there dead because death has been laid dormant. Because God has conquered death and he has killed death itself to the point where Paul is standing over death. And he's saying, where is your sting now? What power do you have over me? Where is the sting of the grave? And that benefit that Christ has bought, he has imputed and given to all of us to like Paul, we can stand at the foothill of death we can know that it's coming and we can say you have no power over me I'm going to pass into this better life and I'm going to enjoy and I'm going to join all those disembodied spirits of my loved ones and then we're coming back you know what I think of when I think of this is me talking here all right this isn't bible this is me talking here all these disembodied spirits are there in heaven they don't have bodies Their bodies are here. There's one person in heaven that has a body. And his name is Jesus. And he's sitting at the center. All these disembodied, I don't know what it looks like. But they're all there and they're serving him. And I think his body to them is a reminder of a forthcoming glory that is greater than even what they have right now. So think of it like this. They're experiencing eternal bliss. They're in the presence of God where they've longed to be all of this journey that they were down here. And now they're there, free of sin, free of pain. That's what Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says, is that when we get to that place, there will be no crying or no more sorrow or no more pain or no more death. All of those things are the former things, and they have passed away. And there our disembodied loved ones are in the presence of our Savior. And yet as they worship at His throne... As they look at the resurrected Savior, they're reminded that a day greater is coming. Because their glory is incomplete. It's perfect, but it's incomplete. See, there's coming a day where their spirit is going to return with the Lord. Imagine what that reunion will be like for people who died with broken bodies. Imagine that. They were infirmed for 20, 30, 40 years. Or perhaps their whole life they were inflicted with pain. And they've been in heavenly bliss for 100 years, 200 years, 400 years, all but just past, just felt like a moment. My grandfather died in 1998. He had a stroke in 1992, I think it was. So for six years, I watched him. My dad built him a ramp at their house. And he wanted so badly to walk again. And I would watch him get out there in the wheelchair and he would just take little baby steps. For hours he would be out there just barely moving. And as I got to be an adult, I've shed tears thinking he never got to walk again. I'd be out there playing in the yard, watching him. Sometimes he'd fall. I'd go in and get grandma and get people to come help him up. And yet, his body betrayed him because his body's inflicted with sin. I think about that day when he returns. There, where he's buried, there's this, it's up on a beautiful high hill, and it overlooks this beautiful pasture, just, just unspeakably beautiful. I think of the day that he returns, and that perfect spirit is united. 
with that perfect, glorified body like Christ, I think the glory, the beauty will just be magnified. And I think the experiential blessing that they have will be at least doubled, don't you? Because now their soul is complete. Their body and their spirit are one. And they've been raised in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Even as those saints, I believe, look at Jesus risen now, there is hope for them. There is encouragement for them. That even though they're in heaven, there's a better day ahead. This morning, this verse, in lieu of all that, in consideration of all of that, Paul says this, My beloved brethren, I love how Paul talks sometimes. Those that I love. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This morning, it is my prayer that you would be encouraged in whatever way God wants you to serve Know that what's on your mind will affect the motivation that you have to serve. And I would commend you, or I would have you consider this morning, putting your mind not just on scriptural things, not just on biblical things, not just on church and religious things. Put your mind on the risen Savior. Very often when I find myself discouraged or frustrated, I ask myself the question, when was the last time that I had my heart and mind dwelling and abiding upon the Lord. Not the things of the Lord. The Lord. And usually when I begin to commune with God in just a few moments and all those other things fade away, I find my hope greatly restored. This morning, I suppose, if I had a thought, it would be towards those older saints that feel discouraged because of your bodies. There's a better day coming. And I hope you'll be mindful of those things. That's our message this morning. I pray the Lord would use it in some way for our good.